Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've seen in the book of Hebrews already, that you have revealed yourself to us finally and completely in your Son, and that we should listen to your word. So we pray that tonight, as we hear your voice, we would not fall into the trap of the Old Testament uh, believers who harden their hearts against your word. Instead, help us to have soft hearts ready to respond in faith to what we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, Commonwealth Games has been on TV the last week or so. I must admit, I've struggled to take a great deal of interest in the uh, Commonwealth Games. I think I only realised it was on when I turned on my favourite show on a Saturday night, the Yorkshire Vet, which is uh, on 7-2, 7.30, Saturday night, and uh, it wasn't on. There was someone playing table tennis. I thought, oh, no, they've ruined my Saturday night. That's just something about me. Though Ella always enjoys watching it as well. But... Uh, the whole thing with the Commonwealth Games is it seems just designed for Australia to smash people. Is that, that, that seems to be all it's about. Some people love that. I start going for the underdog. So I love the fact they even split the United Kingdom into four different countries just so we could be guaranteed to top the medal count. Uh, but you especially notice that when you watch the swimming, and I mean, not to downplay their achievements, there's no way in the world I'd ever get anywhere near what they're doing. Uh, but when Australia gets gold, silver and bronze in you know, event after event after it, you start to wonder, do these countries have swimming pools who they're, they're swimming against? Uh, I'm joking. But that's what happens though when you have a competition basically that removes all the competition. Uh, a competition that takes away all the countries that have money and resources to invest in these things like you know, the USA and China and Russia and Germany. Uh, but it's interesting, the one area Australia doesn't dominate, they do well, but they don't dominate, is running. Uh, and so, because in the end, you don't need to be wealthy, you don't need to have all the best training equipment to run. Uh, and I think that's what I love about running, that you see people from Kenya and Nigeria and all these other countries that are nowhere near as wealthy as us suddenly winning. Because what helps you win a running race, especially a long-distance running race? I turned on the Commonwealth Games a little while ago, and there was uh, a runner called McColgan. Oh, how good is this? And she won the 10,000 metres from Scotland. And, I, and clearly a distant relative of mine. She looked so similar, tall and thin. And, you know, and um, why was she so good? Why are all those Kenyan runners so good? Well, it's because, one, I think it is because they're so thin. Uh, it's got to be easier to run long distances if you don't carry extra weight. That's just a reality. But also, when you look at them, you know how they do that camera shot as they're running towards the finishing line? And you see some of the competitors, and they've just got exhaustion in their eyes, but the ones who are winning, there's just this sheer determination. They're fixed on the finish line. They, they know what they're aiming to do. One of the most common images the New Testament uses for the Christian life is of a running race. Uh, it's all through the New Testament. We are in a race, and the picture it paints is that it's a long-distance race, not a sprint. Uh, and that is the main image in tonight's passage. So let's get into it. So my first heading is finishing the race. Come with me to verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about all those Old Testament heroes we saw in last week's passage. So in chapter 11. So remember last week, he's talking about Abraham, he's talking about Sarah and Moses and Rahab and David and all these others. And what was it about them that made them heroes? We saw it last week. It wasn't that they were perfect. In fact, even though it's got the heading, 
the heroes of the faith, you could just as easily say notorious sinners at the list. You'd say, here is a list of notorious sinners, because they all were. Uh, They all had all these problems. So what was it about them? It was that they finished the race. What it was about them was they kept the faith, they kept trusting God. And what did their faith look like? What do we see was the essence of faith from their examples last week? It was the way they trusted God and his promises for the future despite their current situation. They trusted God and his promises for the future despite their current situation. Even when their current situation was hopeless, even when their current situation suggested how on earth could what God has promised come true, they kept trusting God's promises. So even when their enemies were on every side, even when some of them were thrown into lion's dens or or, or thrown into fiery furnaces, they kept trusting God no matter what, even to the point of death. That was the other thing about these, these heroes of Hebrews 11. Many of them didn't get saved in the here and now. They went to their death trusting in God's promises because they knew God promises something that goes beyond this life. So remember that. What was it about them? They trusted in what they could not yet see. Do you remember that line from last week? They trusted in God's promises for the future. That's faith. And our faith as Christians is exactly the same. Christian faith is to trust that God has forgiven you because of what he's already done. We look back to Jesus' death and resurrection, but then our faith looks forward to Jesus' return and trust that when he returns, we will be a part of his kingdom. We will be a part of his new creation with him forever. And in that new creation, there'll be no more sin and no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. And we trust in that whatever happens in this life. And that's why Christians for 2,000 years have been happy to die rather than deny Jesus. Christians have been happy to say, no, no, rather than deny what I believe to be true about Jesus, I would rather die than give that up because we look forward to something far better than anything this life has to offer. We keep trusting in that even when the world mocks our faith, even when Christians are persecuted for that faith, That is what faith is, trusting the promises of God. And so he says there in verse 1, he says, As you run the race, as you keep trusting Jesus, remember you're not alone. There is this whole cloud of people who've gone before you and witness to the faithfulness of God. So run the race, keep the faith, like all those other ones. And what's the key to finishing the race? Look at the rest of verse 1 there. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. It's that point I made before. Think about those long-distance runners. They shared any extra kilos to make it possible to run. They make sure they wear the lightest possible clothes. They, They get the lightest possible shoes. Why carry any extra weight if you don't have to? And it is exactly the same with following Jesus. If the most important thing you do is keep trusting Jesus, and I pray that is to you the most important thing, if the most important thing is that you keep trusting Jesus, well, then you want to get rid of anything that might distract you from following Jesus. Isn't that right? You want to get rid of anything that might distract you following Jesus. Now, obviously, that includes, look what it says there, the sin that so easily ensnares us. Isn't that just the truest picture of what sin does it it ensnares you 
Like when you're on a bush walk and you walk off the track and you walk into a blackberry bush, you know, and the, the thorns sort of drag on you and you can't keep going. It slows you down. It, it, it drags you off the path and eventually it shipwrecks your faith. To run the race for Jesus, we cannot tolerate ongoing sin in our life. I can't help but think of Jesus' words where he says, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If there is a sin in your life that you are tolerating, it might be drunkenness, it might be gossip, it might be pornography, it might be coveting. Whatever it is, deal with it. Repent of it. It's not a matter of indifference. It is holding you back from finishing the race. Get rid of it. But it's not just sin he's talking about here he says look lay aside every weight see often there are things that are not sin in and of themselves but they hold us back from living for Jesus do you remember the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus and he said I want to follow you Jesus and Jesus said that's great but first go and sell everything you have give it to the poor and then you can follow me and it says the man went away disappointed because Jesus, see, Jesus doesn't say that to everyone, but he perceived for that man, his wealth was more important to him than Jesus. And so he, he perceived for this man, he had to get rid of that if he wanted to follow Jesus. Unless he was willing to throw off that weight, he would never follow Jesus. So I want to say to you tonight, are there things in your life that are actually holding you back as a Christian that you need to get rid of? Sometimes I think in our modern world, it's our fixations with a hobby. It might be sport. You know, we get so caught up in something that takes up so much of our time that it actually holds us back from following Jesus. Sometimes it's actually our work. We need to change our attitude to it, make it less of an idol. Uh, sometimes it's unhelpful relationships. Sometimes we, we get together with people who are actually a weight on us as a Christian, even Christian brothers and sisters sometimes, where they're, they're unhelpful to us. They, they lead us away from following Jesus. I've seen this actually with wealthy Christians at a further along stage of life when they buy a weekender and before you know it, they're never at church. It's not a bad thing to own a house at the coast. In fact, quite often I like to stay in people's houses at the coast. But you see, then they're always there every weekend. And it's, it's, it's amazing how we can make good things bad things. How good things can weigh us down and stop us following Jesus. And the point is, if it's holding you back, if it's stopping you running hard for Jesus, throw it aside. Throw off anything that stops you running the race. The other thing you see, though, as I said, in those runners is that single-minded focus that fixation on the, fish, on the finishing line. And we, we need the same focus. Look again from verse 1. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. One of my favourite movies is Up. Who's seen the movie Up? There's a, it's on the screen. Who's seen the movie Up? Most of you have. You're of that era. Uh, but in that movie Up, my favourite character is the talking dog called Doug. Do you guys know Doug? Doug the dog? And Doug is just this really friendly dog who's meant to be showing them the way, but he always gets distracted by squirrels. And so we've got our picture, thanks, Braden, where he's there, he says, I've just met you and I love you to the old man, but then squirrel, he's distracted, he sees a squirrel, that's it, it's all over. 
Uh, that has actually become part of our family conversation. We, we use that as a saying because it happens so often in our family. We're talking and then it's like squirrel. And I, I won't name the members of the family who particularly are prone to seeing the squirrels of the world. But that is the same in the Christian life. And sometimes it's the good things of life, not just the hard things. Yes, when the Christian life is hard, it has ups and downs, we get distracted. But it is so easy to get distracted by the good things. To just see the squirrels of the world, if you like. It's so easy to get distracted, to start to live for this life, rather than looking ahead to what God has promised us. We can take the squirrel down, it's distracting people now, bro. <laughs> and so to avoid that, what do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we look back to Jesus and what he's done for us. Every day, remind yourself, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose again to defeat death. I actually think the best Christian habit you can form is to begin every day by just praying, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose again for my salvation. Just every day, start it off by saying, that's the most important thing. That's what matters to me. Every day, calibrate your mind to remember what Jesus has done, the source of your faith. But we also fix our eyes forward. We look forward to Jesus' return. Every day, we need to remind ourselves, this world is not where it's at. This world is not where it's at. We need to remind ourselves, our Lord Jesus is seated at his Father's right hand. And one day, he will come back to bring in his kingdom once and for all. So I want to say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Do not get distracted. Don't fix your eyes on the short-term, temporary things of this world. Don't fix your eyes on the things that so easily distract us. That's how we finish the race. That's how we hold on to the faith. And can I say, the best way to fix your eyes on Jesus is to just do the two things the book of Hebrews has challenged us to do over and over and over and over again. Have you noticed how repetitive the application has been in Hebrews? Have you noticed how many times it's told you, one, listen to God speak by his word every day. That's how you fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to God speak by his word every day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But then the other thing it's said over and over again is, number two, meet together as often as you can to encourage one another. It is not rocket science how you fix your eyes on Jesus. It is not rocket science how you persevere as a Christian. You listen to God speak his word every day and you meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ as often as you can. But moving on, there's one thing that rocks people's faith more than anything else and that thing is suffering. And especially when that suffering is because you are a Christian. And so my next heading is persevering through suffering. And this is verses 2 to 13. So just imagine for a moment at the Commonwealth Games if they added an extra element to the marathon. So if it isn't, I imagine it's hard enough to run 42 kilometres. I'm never going to do it. Run 42 kilometres over all the hills and dales and all that sort of thing. Imagine if then they said part of the race is we're going to line the whole course with people who yell abuse at you as you run past. And then imagine if they gave them rocks to throw at you. So as you're running along, you're dodging. I might actually watch more of the Commonwealth Games if it was more like that. But being serious, that is the Christian life for many Christians. Understand that we have lived in an anomaly of history in the modern Western world at this time. In many parts of the world today, when people turn to Christ, 
they face physical persecution. There are places in the world today where people are dying for their faith while we're talking. And that is the case right throughout history. And at most parts of the world, in most parts of history, Christians have faced financial abuse. Christians have faced certainly verbal abuse and persecution. They've been mocked for their faith. It will happen to us too. That's just a reality. So how do we not give up when that happens? Well, our passage has two answers to that question. The first is, remember the example of Jesus. See, Jesus is not just the object of your faith. Jesus is not just the one you trust in. He's also actually the great example of faith. He's the great example of trusting in the promises of God and so persevering through suffering. I love this little moment in the book of Hebrews because he's just given us all these great examples of faith in chapter 11. It's a great chapter of the Bible from the Old Testament, from Abraham to David to Rahab, all these people, all these examples of people who've persevered through suffering and kept trusting God. He gets to the end and he says, but do you know what? As great as they were, the greatest example is Jesus himself. He doesn't say, and, and go and follow the example of Abraham, or go and follow the example where he says, look at Jesus. Look at verse 2. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. And then verse 3. And consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. He's saying, saying, when you face suffering and you're tempted to give up, remember that Jesus faced it too. Jesus was willing to suffer. Jesus endured the cross because he knew that is not the end. He knew by doing this, through my suffering, I'm winning salvation for the world, one. But yes, but more than that, he knew after his death, God would vindicate him. He would be raised to glory. And is exactly the same for us. Whatever suffering we face in this life for following Jesus, and the Bible is very clear, you will suffer in some way if you're a Christian. The Bible says if you want an easy life, don't be a Christian. You will face some sort of persecution if you follow Jesus, but whatever it is, it is worth it because like Jesus, God will vindicate you in the end. So do not give up. Jesus has shown us the way to face suffering. But more than that, The other key to persevering through suffering is to remember that God actually uses it for your good. So that's our next heading. Remember, God uses our suffering for good. And this is our final part of the passage. When things go wrong for us, when we suffer, what is our temptation? What is our common reaction? Well, a really common reaction is to doubt God at that point or even to get angry at God. You know, why is, is God letting this happen to me? Why, why are, are you allowing this? And in fact, in most other religions, their understanding of God or the gods is actually that suffering is a sign that they are angry with you. So in most other religions other than Christianity, when you suffer, it's because God or the gods are angry with you. And so Christians can fall into the trap of actually thinking like pagans. And and so when we face suffering and hardships, we think, oh, God mustn't love me or, or God mustn't be real and we give up our faith. That's why it is so important to get your understanding of this right now before we face troubles. Because when we get into the midst of them, we're not in a place to hear what we need to hear. We need to have it right before we suffer. 
And then in the good times and then in the bad times, we'll be ready to face them. See, as I said before, God does not promise that if you follow Jesus, your life will be easy. In fact, the opposite. God promises you will face persecution for following Jesus. That is actually a promise of Scripture. And so when these things happen, they're not a sign that God is angry with you or that God doesn't love you. In fact, the opposite. God uses these things to help us grow. And so here what we're told is that God uses suffering like a good parent uses discipline. Now, you mustn't take this picture too far. It's not saying, as I said before, it's not saying every time a Christian suffers, that's because God is disciplining us for something we've done wrong then and there. That sometimes is the case. Uh, The Corinthian church were warned that their ungodliness in the way they were treating each other was leading to God's judgment on them. But generally, Jesus tells us you can't assume that. When when suffering happens, you, you can't know why. It's just because we're part of this fallen, broken world. But what it is saying here is that when Christians face persecution, and that's the suffering it's talking about here, suffering for our faith, when we face that, God uses it for our benefit, to help us grow. So look with me from verse 7. It says, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now sadly, some parents don't discipline their children and we reap the consequences of that as a society. And sadly, some parents over-discipline their children and and there are examples of abuse, which is awful. But this just assumes if if a parent loves their child, they will discipline them. And in fact, verse 8 is really powerful. Look at verse 8. It's actually saying, if a parent does not discipline their child, you have to wonder if the child is really their child. Because he's sort of saying, if you never face, if you take it to us, if you never face any persecution for your faith, I mean, these Christians were facing the prospect of shedding blood for their faith, but if you never face anyone even mocking you for your faith, anyone even ever saying a, 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 a rude word to you for your faith, you have to wonder if you're actually a child of God. Because if you stand up and say, I'm with Jesus in this fallen, broken world, you will face some mockery at least. And can I tell you, this time has come in modern Australia. And so what we saw with the rugby league last week, with the, the manly players and the pride jersey, because we are now in a world where it is so cheap to be self-righteous, where it's so easy to follow the movements of the day, and so corporations love the idea of supporting things at no cost that make them popular. And so wherever you work now, you will come into situations where your workplace says, we want you to wear this shirt that says, you take pride in sin. You've got to work out now, what will you do? in that situation it'll be hard but the Christian has to say with all the grace and all the gentleness that they can muster I can't do that but here is the thing as you are making that stand other Christians will just do it and they won't face the mockery but verse 8 challenges that person to ask well then are you really a Christian are you really a son of God if you're not willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus but back to discipline Now, of course, as I said before, some parents are not good examples. But on the whole, even if we don't appreciate it at the time, we look back and we are thankful for their discipline. Uh, Isn't that right? 
you know, at the time, I resented my sore bottom from getting a smack. But in time, over time, you're not allowed to say that anymore, are you? But anyway, you are. Don't let me see. Anyway, at that time, I resented it. But in time, it taught me to be respectful. It taught me I shouldn't swear or whatever it was I'd done. That I shouldn't be disrespectful to my parents or whatever it was I'd done that deserved discipline. And if we respect our parents, who sometimes got it right and sometimes got it wrong, how much more should we respect the discipline of our holy and righteous Heavenly Father who is always right? And that's the point from verse 9 there. Look with me. He says, Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And that's the point. There in verse 11, look at verse 11. God actually uses suffering to grow us in godliness, to grow us to be more like Jesus. And if you have gone through any sort of suffering like that with Christian faith, you know that this is true. See, the reality is... When this life is easy, when there are no struggles, we actually often forget God. We take God for granted. We think, I can do this for myself. I I don't need God. We just just sort of take all the credit ourselves and we don't give God the honour and credit he deserves. Can I tell you, and this is just my experience, not scripture, more Christians slide away from faith in Jesus when life is going well than ever do when facing struggles and pain. It's amazing. As I say, this is just my experience. But more Christians drift away because life is going well, and so they just sort of, oh, I don't need my Christian brothers and sisters anymore. I've got plenty of friends. Oh, I'll just sort of get out of the habit of meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll stop reading my Bible. And before you know it, one day they wake up and they're not Christian. It's the good life that's more dangerous than the hard life for the Christian faith. Because when we face opposition and suffering, it refines our faith. You see, Do I really trust Jesus? Am I willing to stand up and be counted for him when it's not popular? It drives us to prayer. It drives us to reliance on God rather than ourselves. The Apostle Paul puts this wonderfully in Romans chapter 5. It's on the screen. He says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Don't think the wrong way. He's not saying I, I seek out suffering. He's saying when it happens, I'm actually thankful because I realize God is going to use it. How? Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. That is hope in the gospel. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Can I tell you, it is really hard to grasp that truth when you're in the middle of suffering. No suffering seems good at the time, but when we look back, we can see how God has used it for good. We can see how God uses suffering to strengthen our faith and grow us in godliness. So understand this now. Get this right now so that when suffering comes, you do not despair. You don't throw up your hands and and complain to God. You trust God and you trust that as your loving Heavenly Father, He is working for your good. And so to finish, we don't know how much longer our race of faith is, do we? Jesus might return tomorrow. Come Lord Jesus, I say. Some of us might have another 20 years, another 40 years, another 60 years, another 80 years. For the younger ones here, I hope it's another 80 years. 
But however long it is, you have to persevere. However long your race, you have to persevere to the end. You need to keep running. You need to keep trusting Jesus. And I love verse 12 to finish. It says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. What's he saying? Anyone older than 40 knows, which is me, knows that after a while running makes your whole body, but especially your knees, sore. Well, he says, let them get sore, but don't let them break. So you, you, you might get sore knees, but don't let them break. Make it easy for yourself. Throw off the weight that burdens you. Throw off the, the sin that entangles you. Keep on the straight path. That is the path that follows Jesus. And then your sore knees will not break. Then you will last the distance. You will persevere trusting Jesus, which is the most important thing in the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus who died for us and rose again for our justification and who we look forward to in faith returning in glory. And so, Father, help us to persevere in our faith. Help us to throw off the weight that might entangle us. Help us to throw off the sin that might entangle us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we might persevere trusting him to the very end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.